All right, let's see where we want to be here tonight. If you will, let's stand tonight for the reading and reverence of the Word of God. I thought this morning when I had you to sit that I was going to read the whole chapter and the Lord changed my mind. So rather than start an exercise class, I just had you to stay seated this morning. But we'll stand this evening for the reading and reverence of the Word of God. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter number 31 and in verse number 30, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. You can be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for, or this evening for Mother's Day. We thank you, Lord, for our mothers. Lord, we understand beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a biblical definition of a mother. And Lord, anybody can have a child, but it takes a mother with the word of God in her heart to be the mother that you want her to be. And Lord, I'm not just here to, tonight to celebrate uh, just uh, what a woman can do by giving birth, but we're here to celebrate, Lord, the kind of woman that you, uh, you show us in the word of God that we need in our homes and in our churches Lord, we thank you that you've given us some here in this local assembly. And I pray, God, that you'd help us, Father, for just a little while uh, to look into these scriptures. Lord, give us clarity of thought and speech and help us, we do pray, not our heart to browbeat or to be mean or angry or fussy, but, Lord, just to take a view through your eyes, through the word of God, at what you expect out of mothers. And, Lord, we'll give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. All right, so let's, uh, let's look here uh, in verse number 30. The Bible says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands. Now we understand that when you plant something or something grows, uh, whether it be a tree, a fruit tree, or whether it be something in the garden, the idea behind the planting of that seed is for eventually for that seed to come to fruition. Eventually that that seed will, will begin to grow and it will turn into uh, become whatever plant uh, that, uh, that God has designed it to become. Uh, based upon the seed that is planted. And the idea is eventually through a process uh, that, that, will, that plant will come to fruition and you will be able to partake of what is uh, on that plant, all right? We find here that this, uh, this uh, woman here, this virtuous woman, excuse me, the Bible says she considereth a field, in verse 16, and buyeth it with the fruit of her hands, she planteth a vineyard. Now, why is it that she has considered this particular ground? Why is it that she is planting this vineyard? Because she is expecting that there will become, a, there will come a time through an investment of her time, an investment of her money. See, it takes more than money, but it took the work of her hands, right? She's seen a, a field. She considered it. What does that mean? She looked at it from a prospective viewpoint. She seen the field and said, hi, 
I believe that field would be a good field to plant a vineyard in. And she had a vision of what she wanted that field to do. And she was willing when she bought that field, having considered the work and the effort that it was going to take for that field to do what she hoped it would do, uh, that eventually the idea was through financial uh, support of, of, of purchasing the field through labor, that this field would produce something and give back to her and to her family, right? So she's, she's purposing for the, uh, to, to plant this vineyard with the, with the thoughts that this vineyard would eventually bring something back to her. But I want you to notice this, and when we're looking at fruit, it says give her uh, of the fruit of her hands. Now, if you will, go to Proverbs 14 for just a moment, and let's look at verse number one. Proverbs 14 and verse number 1. Every wise woman. Now, right there I want to pause. When we look at Proverbs 31, we're looking at the type of woman that, uh, that King Lemuel's mother is telling him he needs to be looking for. This is the kind of woman that, that you need to be considering. And we reference the fact this morning that uh, there's no such thing as a perfect person. There's no such thing as a perfect wife, a perfect mother, a perfect woman. I mean, we understand that that woman should have the right kind of heart. She should not be stagnant. She should be moving closer to that uh, of, of, of conforming to the scriptures and to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ because we see even the mother of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter number two uh, come down very hard on Jesus just for doing the Father's business. And uh, we understand that a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, right? The idea is not to lay in your mistakes, but to get up, move on for the glory and for the honor of God and try to be better tomorrow than you are today, right? And so that's the idea. But we understand here that, that this isn't every woman in Proverbs 31. This isn't every woman. This is a woman. This is a picture of what King Lemuel ought to be striving for when he looks for a wife or for a mate, okay? Uh, some attributes that when he sees someone that maybe he's interested in, uh, he can begin to look at the attributes that his mother has counseled him with and start determining maybe if this lady is uh, the right kind of lady or the wrong kind of lady, all right? But uh, we understand here that this is not every woman. This is the ideal Woman, This is what people, women should be striving for. This is what mothers and fathers should be striving to train their daughters to be like. All right. And so having said that, uh, we understand here that uh, the Bible says, give her of the fruit of her hands. But then we go to Proverbs 14, 1, and the Bible says, every wise woman buildeth her house. Now, I want you to understand something. Uh, right off the bat here, verse 29 of Proverbs 31 says, Many daughters have done virtually, but thou excellest them, excellest them all. We're talking about one woman in Proverbs 31. We're talking about every woman right here in Proverbs 14 and 1. I want to say the Bible says, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. So let me say this to you. You may look at Proverbs 31 tonight and go, oh yeah, that's, a, that's an ideal woman and I'll never meet up to that. Now understand I'm never going to be perfect till I get into my glorified body. 
till I get in the presence of Jesus Christ, right? But we're trying to conform. We're trying to, to transform, if you will, into the image of God's dear son, right? And so to transform, we have to be actively moving in that direction. But understand here that uh, every wise woman buildeth her house. First of all, a foolish woman can't build a house. She'll tear one up. But a wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. Now we look at Proverbs 31, or 31 and verse 31. And the Bible says, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Now we was talking about the husband here earlier uh, and uh, how that he does safely uh, trust in her. And uh, we understand that uh, the Bible says her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. Now in the midst of all the description that we find about this Proverbs 31 woman, this virtuous woman, we go very quickly to the husband right here. Uh, in other words, her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. How is he known in the gates? He's known because his wife has helped to make him what he is, but then we find he's in the gates and he is known in the, in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. But the Bible says here uh, in verse 31, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Who's at the gate? Can I say to you, the works of a wife that's willing to be what God wants her to be, her husband will praise her. He should praise her. There's, there's, there's the, uh, she's worthy uh, to be honored in that, all right? But we see here in Proverbs 14 and 1, every wise woman buildeth her house. I began to think about building a house. I've built a house, one house. I haven't built but one. I'm not looking to build another one, amen? But I'll say this to you. There was a process. And when I started out on that journey, I started out on that journey with the mindset that I was going to pay for it as I went, and I was going to complete it and I was going to be out of debt uh, when I got it built. That was my ambition. That was my goal. That was what I was striving for. But I'll say this, every wise woman buildeth her house. It doesn't happen overnight. No one builds a house. Now, our idea of building a house, I get tickled at people. They say, oh, yeah, we're building a house. What they're meaning is they hired somebody to build the house. They hired somebody to come out and lay the foundation and put that thing up and dry it in and then finish it. And then they said, oh, we're building a house. They haven't built a house. They hired somebody to build it. But if you're the builder, you're the one that is responsible for starting that thing, for breaking ground. I want you to notice everything starts at the ground level. Everybody starts on the same plane, Brother Shane. When you start a home, when a woman begins to take a, a home and try to, 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 to do with it what God wants her to do in her position, everyone starts out on the same level. And I'll tell you something, it's a sad day to get a house built partially and then tear that thing down, amen? You got a lot invested, a lot of hard effort, a lot of time put into building that house. And a wise woman buildeth her house. I wanna say this, you won't have it overnight. You will not have it overnight. There's times when, when you, you get frustrated, you get upset. You say, Lord, I'm trying to be what you want me to be. I'm trying to be this Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, I seem to have fallen. I, and you get tired of falling and getting back up again. And it seems like a, almost a discouragement. I want you to understand something, friend. Building a house don't happen at the snap of a finger. It takes effort. It takes time. Let me say this, building a house takes skill. Not everybody's going to lay a foundation. Not everybody's going to, to pour a pad. 
Not everybody's going to erect the walls. Not everybody understands what it takes to build a house. But this woman, we find here that the Bible says every wise woman buildeth her house. She's going to have to know something about building. Do you know how you know how to build a house? You get in the blueprint and you figure out what God says about how it's to be done. There's a lot of people willing to counsel. There's a lot of radio broadcasts, a lot of self-help books, you know. There's a lot of TV programs that'll tell you uh, how to put your best foot forward. You know what you need to do? You need to shut that trash off and throw the magazines away and get in the Word of God and allow the Word of God to mold you and shape you and give you the skills that you need to build that house. A house, a home, it's not something that you get overnight, but it is a progression. You'll find that anything worth having is worth working for. And you'll also find that there's effort that has to be put into this thing to have it the way that you want it to be. Now, I'll say this. You don't want to live in no shack on the side of the road with a hole in the roof. Amen? You want to build something that you can be proud of, something you can live in, something that that it don't have to be the nicest house, but it needs to be dry, it needs to be warm, it needs to be a place where you can be protected from the elements, right? And so if you're building a house, you'd want that thing to be built in a manner that you wouldn't mind somebody coming over to visit every once in a while. That's the goal, right? Well, when you build a home, friend, you want people to be able to look inside of what's going on and, 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 and see God in what's happening. All right, and so every wise woman builds their house, it's going to take a progression. It's going to take some skill. It's going to take some effort. And I'll tell you something, if you don't put the effort into it, you can't live in a house that don't have a roof on it. You can have walls, you can have window holes, you can have a door opening, you can have the finest foundation money can buy. But if you don't have a roof on that thing and that thing's not dried in, it'll do you no good. I want you to understand something. We don't need to get halfway through the building program and decide we're going to go ahead and move in it. I've learned this. A man goes and moves in a house that's unfinished. Most of the time, it don't ever get finished. He's so busy working, so busy trying to do what he's trying to do. It just, it gets put off and put off and put off and it never gets done. And here's what I'm saying to you. We're trying to build something. It's going to take some effort and we don't need to stop now. I'll say this to you. You may not be able to finish it tomorrow. You may not have the means to finish that house next month, but you just keep chipping away at it, putting some money back, investing in it as you can. Before you know it, you'll have a roof on that thing. You'll have it dried in. You'll have it where it's, it's inhabitable. It's usable. But it takes some time. It took us several years to get that house where we could actually do something with it because we was paying for it as we could afford to pay for it. I'm going to say this, friend. You don't have everything you need right now. You didn't get saved today. You didn't start a home today and have that thing just like you need it to be. It's going to be a progression and it's going to take some effort. But every wise woman buildeth her house. I tell you what, it's wise if you don't have nowhere to live to start building, ain't it? When you don't have no place to live, Brother Shane, you'll do anything to try to get you a place to cover your head. Listen to me. Your family is exposed to the devil today if you don't get to build it. Your family is exposed to the elements of this world if you don't start doing something for the glory and for the honor of God. Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. And so here's here's what I'm wanting to deal with if I can. Uh, this matter of a home, this matter of building, there's a progression, there's a process. So how do you know? We find it when Paul writes to Titus. Go with me to Titus 2. And I'm not going to re-preach these texts. I'm not going to deal with the same things. I'm going to show you something, though, if the Lord will help us 
uh, about what Paul is telling Titus here in Titus chapter number 2. Now obviously, uh, this building program has to start from the ground and work its way up, right? And I'm certain that people are probably at different levels in the building of their home. But the Bible says here in uh, verses number, we'll start in chapter 2, verse number 1, Titus, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior, as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Do you understand here that they may teach the young women to be sober? That means there's the, uh, the very high likelihood that a young woman will not have the mental understanding that she needs to have to be what God wants her to be in her role in the home. So wouldn't it be good if we had some older folks today in the church that could help there, right? Now you're going to find we're having a famine in today's society for older women that know anything about it. See, we get women now that's 70, 80 years old that, that, that moved into a, a life that, that things, amenities and, and all the wealth that we see today in the nation that we live in, those things began to steal away homes from back in those, those days and rob them from the church. And people began to, to have better and more things that please the flesh. And now there's such a moral degradation. We don't have those types of women anymore. All right, but it's still important. It's still necessary. And I thank God for some, some older women, some aged women, some women that have some age on them. Listen to me. There's a lot of women don't want to tell their age today. There's a lot of women smack you if you tell their birthday. But I tell you, older women are to, be, are to be honored and appreciated in God's house to help our older, our younger women to be the, the, the women that God wants them to be. Amen right there. That's good. All right, it says that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Any woman that has a baby, holds that baby in her arms, there's some kind of an emotional feeling. There's something there. But I want you to understand something. We are always needing to remember what the Bible definition of love is. Love is more than that feeling you get when you get near that thing that brings some kind of an emotional uh, stirring in your, in your mind or in your body. So understanding here, women have to be taught how to love their husbands and to love their children. I'll say this, I appreciate that, that King Lemuel's mother was invested in training him and teaching him what he needed to look for in a mate. I'll say this, we don't expect our, we don't want to send our daughters off into a marriage uh, blind, friend, and not have any idea of what it is to be the wife that God wants them to be. That is something that we instill in, train up a child, right? It's right for me to teach my daughters in the age that they are right now what God God is expecting out of them as a wife and as a mother. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, friend, I'm not teaching my children that they need a $150,000 to $200,000 college bill uh, just to turn right around and start a family. Listen to me. What I'm teaching my daughters is that they've got a, they've got a, they've got a home in the future somewhere with a man that God has set aside just for them and they have an important role to play in training up some children to be what God wants them to be. 
That's what I'm shooting for, all right? And if you don't agree with that, you just keep it to yourself tonight, all right? It says to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise are to be sober-minded. Here's what I want to call your attention to. This, this, this matter of keepers at home keeps coming back home to me. But I want to show you something about this keeper. We're talking about building a home. We're talking about a progression. We're talking about how that, that the older women are teaching these younger women what they need to be in their homes. But here's what I want you to see. The Bible says a keeper at home. What is a keeper? Now, we've looked at this, but, that, but I want to show you the other side to this definition. All right, A keeper is one who has custody or superintendence of anything. So you would say that a keeper is an authoritarian. We talked about that in our Wednesday night study when we was discussing how God has instilled in a woman to have the, the natural ability to be an authoritarian because she has a heavy duty and a heavy task to handle children that sometimes that has, you know, where they have their bound, the, the heart of a child is foolish, right? Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. So it's going to take a strong woman with a strong backbone to handle little rebellious kids that have foolish hearts, right? And so we talk about the authoritarian part of, the, of this definition of a keeper, but a keeper is also one who retains in custody, one who has the care of a prison and the custody of prisoners. Go with me quickly to Genesis 39 and verse number 21. Verse number 21 of chapter number 39. Verse number, I'm in Exodus. That would be why I can't find the right scripture. Genesis 39 and verse number 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. What are we finding here? The guard. Right? You, you look at the Philippian jailer and you understand that Philippian jailer was given uh, the task, if you will, of keeping an eye and a watch out for Paul and for Silas. Right? He was a keeper. A keeper of the prison. So can I say to you, a keeper is more than just an authoritarian, but a keeper, Brother Gene, is a guard. Now I want to say this, there's another reason why God give women this uh, natural ability to be an authoritarian. Listen to me right now, you let somebody sneak up, me not be around on one of my kids to hurt them, you've never seen a woman climb up the backside of a human being like my wife would. I'm telling you right now, I'd rather fight two men twice my size as to fight my woman if she's mad. Amen. Here's what I'm saying to you tonight, a keeper is a guard. We, we're supposed to be guarding our children today. And so we're, we're expecting older women to teach the younger women to do what? To love their husbands, to love their children. That's a commitment, amen? Love is a commitment. Hey, you don't always like getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning when that child's puking. Amen. When the puke's all over the carpet and the walls and they're sick and they can't quit coughing and their snot running everywhere and you're pulling your hair out because you haven't slept in a week, nobody's enjoying that. That's a commitment. It's something that you do. That's part of your job. Okay? And, and so there's good in, in this, but there's some, there's some rough nights ahead. Amen. And so we understand that. 
But she's more than just an authoritarian. She's a guard. And we find here that, that they're to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. How can you guard? Now listen, I'm not trying to be rude, but how can you guard a home if you're never there? How can you guard your children if you're never there? And listen, there's a lot of folks today that'll shove their children off on everybody else. It's not everybody else's duty to make sure my children are growing in grace and knowledge and that my children are being raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and that my children are loved and taken care of. It's my job. It's my wife's job. We live in a society today where people are kicking their kids out on everybody, but they're never taking care of them themselves. That's not God's design. I don't want my children learning from somebody else. I want my children to learn what the Bible says from me and my wife, from our example, and from living in our home. And so uh, what I'm saying here is a keeper is a guard. You can't guard something if you're not with them. You can't guard something if you're not there. And so I want to say this, it's an investment to be a mother. It's not, it's not an assembly line where we're just running things off into a box. I mean, these women having babies left and right and chunking them. I mean, they just put in legislation in the state of Kentucky where you can have a baby, stuff it in a hole somewhere, ring a bell, and somebody will come get it. Where have we fallen to in this nation today? Hey, keepers at home, we need mamas today that will, will take their children and will love their children. And we need young mothers to see examples in older women today. And that's why I still say I'm in favor of mamas and grandmas and, and, and women that love the Lord. And we, we got a society today of women that's 60, 70 years old, they'd rather go out here and buy a Mustang with the top down on that thing and try to dress like they're 25 and I keep up with somebody that's half their age. That's ridiculous today. It's ridiculous today. We need younger women to look up to the older women, but I'm finding that the older women are trying to be what the younger women are. I'm telling you, it's a sad day that we live in, but a keeper, a keeper is a guard. We're supposed to be guarding our children today. And so uh, what we need is, is, is <laughs> we need something for our younger women. We need something for our young people. And uh, what we need is our homes right again. Amen. We need homes that are right again. And so uh, let's say a, a mother is to be a guard. I'll never forget, my, my mamma, she loved me, but my mamma could have been a warden at a prison. I mean that I love her. I do. She, she fought by, she, I wouldn't rather have, I'd never rather have another grandmother than the one I had. She loved me, but she could have. She could have been a guard at a prison somewhere. She, she could have made a fine warden. But I'll say this, she was also a woman of compassion. As much as she had the ability to get with you if you needed it, she also had the ability to, 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 put, to give you some grace and some compassion. Even at times when I was surprised that she offered the grace or the compassion. Now listen, I, I, I tell people I, didn't, I wasn't scared of my papa, but I feared him. Well, I was scared of my mamma. Okay, my mamma could get with you if you needed it. But papa, I'll never forget, we, and I ain't trying to get into story time tonight, but my brother and I was at the dairy barn one time, and, and, and I had let two cows in the dairy barn on top of one another, and, and he said, this, forget it, let them go on by. I wasn't supposed to have opened the door when I did to let them in, so that was the first time I disobeyed. And I run two cows in together. And I don't know if you know anything about cattle or not, but if a cow misses her milking and goes another night or another day without it, she very easily could get mastitis and get sick, possibly could even die. 
And so anyway, I thought, well, I'll be a hero and I'll run down there and I'll head her off and I'll put her back in the holding pen and I'll never tell him no different. When she comes in, he'll be proud of me. He'd have been proud of me if I'd have done what I was told, right? But anyway, I run out there and I used to wear his muck boots and my feet were half the size of his at the time. And I run through the barn as fast as I could. My brother was right there behind me disobeying, stepped out into the end of the barn right there into manure about that deep, stepped right out of my boots and run into manure all the way to my waist. My brother done the same thing. So here we are covered in manure plumb up to our waist trying to figure out what in the world to do. There wasn't anything to do but take the medicine. I had to go back by the dairy barn, tell Papa all what I'd done. He looked at me, and I'm telling you, the only time I ever thought he would whip me, he was smoking. He said, I ought to wear you out. He said, but I'm going to send you. I said, I'm going to do better now. I'm going to send you to your mamaw. I was hoping Papa would just beat me to death right there. Because I had to go through the garage to get to the door to let mamaw know what was going on. And I was going to track manure all the way through the garage. So anyway, I knocked on the door, and she came to the door, and I knew I was a one-beat little kid. And all she done was she laughed at me. And she said, you go back out there and I'll clean you up. And then she went out there and she cleaned me up and she never said nothing else to me. I thought surely I'd be dead. But she knew how to have compassion. She knew the time. What happened is I already took my whipping. I was already already sorry for what I had done. And she was able to see that. And so what I'm getting at is we we need, uh, she was a woman of compassion, but she was a woman that knew how to guard her home. And so we we need guards at our homes. All right, we don't, listen, we do not have to guard the store down here. We do not have to guard uh, anywhere else. We have to guard our homes. And you say, you know, I, I listen to all kinds of people with all kinds of philosophies, all right? I hear people say, well, preacher, they need to be exposed to things. You know, and when you're guarding something, you're protecting it, right? You're, you're trying to keep them from getting out, but you're trying to keep some things from getting in. Amen. And so what are you saying here? I'm saying we need full-time guards. Part-time guards won't keep somebody in. You got somebody that needs to be guarded. They guard them around the clock. Our children, our mothers who are keepers at home, they're guarding around the clock. All right? And so understanding that, uh, you say, preacher, they just need to be exposed to some things. There's coming a day where they're going to be exposed to some things. That's right. They're coming a day that they will. But today ain't the day. Right now they still live in my home under my care and my Bible ain't changed. And so the idea is not that they, they're never going to be exposed to something. Now listen, we live in a sinful world. Oh, my children will be exposed to some things one of these days that I hate that they're ever going to be exposed to. I'm just going to be honest to you with you just because of the society that we live in today. They will run into some things. But I tell you what, when they run into it, I hope it floors them. I hope it shocks them. I hope it messes with their minds so bad that it runs them back in the other direction. And then they begin to think about how that we had guarded them from all this time. It's not that I can change the world. It's not that I can stop that from ever being exposed to them, but it's me training them on how to react to that when they are exposed to it. And so, but you're, you're supposed to teach them how to react to things that are ungodly. And if you're allowing these things in your life and in your home as if it's okay, you're teaching them that these things are all right and they're okay. It's not. They need to see us guard our homes. Not only do we guard them, but they need to see that we are guarding them. All right, so what does the Bible say? Brother Martin says we are to abstain from all appearance of evil. 
just to stay away from it, to move, to go the other direction. We just embellish it. We just, we just own it today. Well, they need to be exposed to it. If they're never exposed to it, they're not going to know how to react. No, that's not at all what it is. That's a sorry excuse for mamas and daddies to do what they want to do, and they're letting their kids be involved in things they shouldn't just because they're too sorry to separate themselves from the world. Thank you, amen. That's right. That's exactly right. That's what's happening. And so we're to abstain from all appearance of evil. You know what we're supposed to do? We are supposed to be teaching holiness today. That's exactly right. And so what, what are we saying here? Look at Titus again. I want you to notice this. Titus chapter number 2, verse number 3. The aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. As becometh holiness. As becometh Holiness, what are you saying? Are, are we looking at a holy woman here? We're looking at her, has some attributes and some characteristics that are moving her towards holiness. Oh, there's no such thing as a perfect woman. Amen, I agree with that. But that ain't a license today just to let everything go just because we're not perfect men or perfect women. We're to be moving in the direction of holiness. Now I want you to notice 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 15 says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That ain't talking about what comes out of your mouth. That's talking about the way you live your life. And so what are you saying? So preacher, you're trying to teach sinless perfection. Oh no, I know I'm a sinner and I know you are too. But I know today and the day that we live in, it's easy to walk around justified in our actions because, you know, we just, it, they're going to have to be exposed to it somehow. They don't have to be exposed to it at your house. They ought to see you react to it in a negative manner because God reacts to it as a neg in a negative manner. And you and I are supposed to be what? Transforming in the image of God's dear son. So his reaction to sin should be our reaction to sin. And God doesn't overlook sin today, friend. He never has. So the Bible says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. You know why we're to be holy? Why we're to be striving for holiness? Because we serve one that is holy. And we're supposed to be transformed in the image of God's dear son. So that you may teach the young women to be sober. But we understand first the aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Like the older women are going to have to have some behavior that they own of their own accord before they can give it to the young women who are in need of it today. Hey man, we're going to have to have it. We're going to have to get that way. And I, I'm, I'm telling you the gospel truth. I'm dealing with the men on Sunday mornings at Sunday school. I'm not beating up on you ladies. But I am saying this today. Everybody, Mother's Day rolls around and there'll be mothers that get cards that say, Oh, you're the greatest. You're the best. They never had them in church. Uh, half of them didn't have nothing to do with them growing up. And, and all it is is a carnal uh, joke is what it is. It's a joke. I tell you, I believe in honoring mothers that are Bible mothers. The biblical definition of mothers. You know why? Because we need them and we don't have many of them. Amen. We don't have many of them today anymore. I wish I could fill a church up, a local assembly up with some of my mamma. If I could, if I could have had a hundred like my mamma in church, friend, we would do something. We would. We would do something. All right, so here's what I'm saying to you. But as he which hath called, uh, hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. 
Now, I want to remind you of something here just real quickly. And I know we read Romans 12. We, we use Romans 12 and 1 a lot, but I want to call your attention to something uh, in these verses of Scripture. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1 uh, says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Then the Bible says, and be not conformed to this what? World. World. Be not conformed to this world. Now we have the attitude that we're just exposing them. We're just letting them see it for what it is. I, you know, they're going to see it someday. It says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So here's what I want to, want to call your attention. There's something that we see in Romans chapter number 2, these two words. We see two things here in Romans chapter 12 verse 2. We see the world and we see the mind. Now you understand that a child has to be trained. Why? Because foolishness is already bound in their heart. So they've already got a negative problem when they were born. And they need something positive put into their life. All right, so what you put into them, what you instill in them, is what's going to make the difference. Because the world we know is going to instill in them everything that's wrong. And if they look at us and they see everything's acceptable and everything's all right, because, you know, they're going to have to be exposed to it anyway, then we're messing up. But here's what I want to see. And be not conformed to this world, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I'm not... I'm not beating up on any church that I've ever been associated with. But I do want you to know something. And I want you to consider what I'm telling you. My children that we're supposed to guard, uh, I don't, the more you know them and the more you get to know them, I think you'll find that they are, are quite sheltered from a lot of worldliness. All right, there's some things that they just don't know about that kids their age, if they were riding a school bus, would blow their mind. All right? And here's what I'm saying to you. My kids have learned more worldliness in the house of God than they have in my home. Do you know why? Because a lot of churches are carnal. And they're filled up with carnal people who have carnal children. And you understand that we... Uh, are so carnal today in our Baptist churches and in our good, godly Baptist homes that we allow things to filter into our life and our kids to ex be exposed to things that they go exposed to other children. It's a sad day when a child comes home from church and says something to you and you want to know where they heard it from and they tell you. And then the person that told them that, you'd like to go wring their neck because they should have never said what they said. You know what's happened? By nature, we're just carnal. By nature, we're just carnal. We're worldly. And you say, ah, you know, you're, seeing, you're cutting hairs here. Let me say to you this right now. We see two things, world and mind. Now this morning we was looking at Romans 12 and we've seen uh, conformed and sober. But tonight I'm looking at these two words, world and, and mind. I want you to know something right now. Every battle is won or lost in the mind. Every battle you fight, every battle you face, every failure you make, in this world, it will first be won or lost in your mind. Once your flesh reacts to the mind, you've already relinquished control. You've already given up. You say, oh, what a boring life. It's only boring to you, friend, because you can't see the value in doing some other things. Other than filling your mind with stuff. We're producing a generation today of shallow Christians with no substance. Uh, you know, people have two lives today. A lot of people that attend Baptist churches that listen to solid preaching, they have two lives today. They've got the church life and then they've got the regular life. 
They come to the house of God on Sunday and they, they live in a spiritual world on Sunday and they go back home and on Monday they start their regular life again. They watch the trash on TV they shouldn't watch. They look at the trash on the internet that they shouldn't. They listen to the trash on the TV that they ought not and they don't listen to anything that has any virtue and has any praise. They don't sing psalms and spiritual hymns. I mean their mind's not stayed on the word of God. It's just on all the worldliness that they pump in. Then they come back to church on Sunday. They sit down in the same pew and suddenly they listen to spiritual things. And they've put a divide in their life where this compartment of my life is spiritual and this compartment of my life is filled up with the rest of the world. That's not what being a Christian is today. They have two lives. Church on Sunday and they try to spiritualize things and they're back to the normal and it's completely separated. Now I want you to understand something today. You say, preacher, you're picking on everything that, that, that's in my life. We got to expose our children to these things. Listen to me. Listen to me. John, 1 John chapter 2 says, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. You see this world, 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 world come up. Now, now let me, I want you to stop and think on something. And maybe I am picking, but that, I'm just going to pick a little while longer, okay? We live in a generation today where there's kids that are six and seven years old that can give Shane a lesson on how to operate his smartphone. We got people in the Baptist church today that's turned their kids and grandkids loose with a phone connected to the internet. Say, preacher, you're picking. We live in a different world. Can I say to you, do you know what that internet is connected to? What that internet is? It's the World Wide Web. What you've done is you've handed them a little compartmentalized computer that gives them access to everything this world has to offer. Oh, we go to church and we love the Lord. Here's your smartphone, honey. You won't go to bed on time because you'll be looking at all kinds of ungodliness tonight, but we love you, darling. If you loved her or loved him, you'd take it away from her. You'd throw it in the trash. You'd do whatever you've got to do to get rid of that mess because it's ruining our homes. It's ruining our homes. Happy, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Ah, boy. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Ain't that what we are today? Strangers and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lust. Which what? War against the soul. You know, we're supposed to be fighting battles today, friend. We're supposed to endure hardness as a good soldier. What we've done is we've sat down and watched people get shot to death and we're not fighting no battle. What we're doing, we've invited the devil into our, into our houses. You know what we've done? We've given to our kids. You know what you do when you give a kid something they don't need? It comes from your hand into their hand. You know, my daughter can't afford a smartphone. You know that, right? My daughter can't afford cable TV. My daughter can't afford the internet. If she's got it, it's because I give it to her. Now let that sink in here for just a moment. If she's got it, it's because I give it to her. Now, I want you to remember what Proverbs 14 says, every wise woman buildeth her house. You build a house with your hands. You know how you tear one down? With your hands. It said, but the foolish plucketh it down with their hands. You know what's tearing our homes apart right now? It's all the things we're giving to our children with our hands that they don't need access to. Listen, the world's out to get your children. The world's out to get you. And our churches are in shambles today because the devil has free access to everyone's home. I, I, I used to say the devil fights the church. The devil's quit fighting the church. The devil's fighting the home. The devil's fighting the house. 
There'll be people that go home tonight, walk out of a Baptist church, get in their car, listen to Conway Twitty on the way home or some trash on the radio, and then they'll go down here and they'll turn on their television and they'll watch something, they'll, they'll, they'll watch two men or two women hugging on each other in an unnatural way, and they'll say, ah, oh, it's just the way things are today. No, you're inviting that stuff in your home. You're not exposing your children and teach them nothing. What you're doing is showing them that it's all right. You're desensitizing them to something that they should not be desensitized to. But when I don't allow it in my home and when I tell my children it's wrong, when I show them what the Bible says, then when they see it out in this world, they don't want nothing to do with it, friend. But what we've done is we have, we have allowed this stuff to go unchecked. And what we've done is we've taught our children just the way things are. Just the way things are. Listen, it, I, I mean this. You see two men holding hands in an unnatural way, loving up on each other, it ought to make you puke and sick. But you know it don't anymore. It don't bother nobody anymore hardly. Why? They're desensitized to it. A wise woman builds her home. She'll guard her home. Now understand something, if you will, that, that being a keeper means a guard. So she builds her home, she guards her home, but she keeps her home. I thought, I thought keeper, being a keeper was a guard. I'm not talking about the same kind of keeper. Here's my message tonight. Proverbs 31, when we look at it, we, and you let me use this country uh, terminology, if you will, but I remember my old papa always say, oh boy, she's a keeper. Why? Because she had some attributes that he thought was worthy of hanging on to. Why, she's a keeper. Well, here's what I want to say to you today. We look at Proverbs 31 and we see a keeper. Right, but here's what I want you to see. If you want to be a keeper, you must learn to be a keeper. All right, here's what I want to say. If you, if you expect to be the type of woman that, that a godly man desires or wants, or you're going to raise children to, to be the kind of children that a, that a godly man would marry, then you're going to have to be a keeper at home. If you're going to raise your children to be keepers, a Proverbs 31 girl or a Proverbs 31 lady... You're going to have to be a guard, a keeper at home. If you cannot keep, if you cannot keep, which is to retain. Think about this. I know it's a little bit of a play on words, but if, if you can't keep things at home like they need to be at home, if you can't guard like things need to be at home, your children never will. Be the keeper that Proverbs 31 teaches. Now, she builds, she guards, and she keeps. You know, a woman that'll be a keeper at home, Brother Gene, can keep her home. After her job is, is done, maybe after her children are grown, she'll be able to keep them and retain them in accordance to that Bible right there because she give of herself in a time when they needed her to. You know what I want? Nothing. Hmm. Nothing will please me more. Nothing will please me more than to be grown, my children to have children of their own, and to see them get up on Sunday morning, drive down to the house of God, take their seat in a local New Testament Bible-believing church, and do their part. Nothing will please me more than that. All the things in the world that we can own will never amount to anything in comparison to that. Nothing, nothing 
will compare to that. She builds, she guards, she's a keeper at home. And if she'll be a keeper at home, she can keep her home. Let's all stand to our feet. I'm done tonight. Sister, if you'll come to the piano, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. I wonder, are you building your home tonight or are you tearing it down? Have you built it and got it partially built, but for some reason you've stalled? You're not getting anything else done to it. If you've quit working on your home, friend, you need to get back at it. Say, preacher, I'm insufficient. I don't have what it takes. None of us do. I'll never forget, I didn't have the money to finish that house, but I sure was praying paycheck by paycheck, little by little. The Lord is sufficient, friend, to help you in your home. The Lord is sufficient to give you what you need. As she plays, if you need to come, you come. You understand that God had something for Jesus to do, and he used Mary to do it. God had something for Moses to do and he allowed Moses' mother in an unconventional time. Listen to me now. In a time where it wasn't conducive to raising children. God took Moses' mother and father and salvaged Moses' life and done something with Moses that was out of this world unreal. Listen, we're in a world today of unconventional Homes and unconventional society. The society that we live in today is not conducive to raising the kind of children that this Bible tells us we ought to raise. Our government doesn't agree with raising children according to this Bible. If you raise your home or your family and according to this Bible, you are already on the outs with this government that we live in. The situations that Mary was in, the situations that uh, that Moses' mother uh, was in. They were unconventional. They weren't the norm, friend. But you understand that God done something that wasn't normal. God took Jesus and sent him to Calvary for you and for me. God used Moses to lead uh, the, peop- the, the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. All they done was take care of their homes. That's it. All Mary and Joseph done was take care of their homes. What God expected them out of their homes. All Moses' mother and daddy done was the best they could in the situation that they had. They trusted God, but they were willing to do the unconventional. They were willing to go against the grain. They were willing to do what was different than the world. Listen, mamas and daddies are sitting in Baptist churches today and they're doing what the world says to do. They're sending their kids off into the world to do what other kids do. I hate to tell you, friend, but that ain't normal and it ain't right and it ain't accordance to God's word. Don't let everyone else keep your children, your grandchildren. You keep them. You keep them. God used Mary and Joseph in a mighty way. God used Moses' mother and father in a mighty way. And we see because of their faithfulness, their willingness to go against the grain, their willingness to do different than what everybody else was doing, God took those children and used them for His glory and honor. You want your children to be all that God wants them to be, you better quit running with the status quo. You better quit looking at what the neighbor down the road's doing, what the schoolhouse is doing, what everybody else. You better get in your King James Bible and figure out what God wants you to do. Number first thing you can do is become a keeper at home. Say, preacher, I don't have children. My children are already grown. My children are already married. If you're a lady in this church, you can be that aged woman that teaches the younger women 
how to love their husbands and love their children. Listen to me today. There's some husbands that would love it to have some older women come alongside of some younger women and help those younger women become what God expects out of them. It's a training process. Listen, God's not done with you. You may have raised your family, but God can still use you to help others. We need, to, we need a structured, strong home today. If we had that, our churches would be structured and strong churches. Where do you play in this today, friend? If you need to come, come while she plays. We're not going to tarry much longer.